Tonight's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. It is the best tasting power bar out there. I had the chocolate mousse power bar today. Did about 10 miles of biking all in all today. Good day for me. Um, but yeah, Built Bar and some of that Built Boost, their energy drink as well too. Help me get through it. Go to BuiltBar.com to learn more. Yep, tonight's podcast, guys. This is the 2019 Nationals Rewatch, episode number nine. We're doing game six of the 2019 World Series between the Astros and the Nationals. Nat's down 3-2 at this point. Connor Jones and I do a deep dive on this game. We hope you enjoy. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki! See you later! The Nats have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam. Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. The kick in. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. You are listening to the Locked On Nationals podcast, your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Well, everybody, it is, well, tonight at least, when we're recording this, it is Tuesday, May 5th, 2020. It is Locked On Nationals Podcast, episode number 37, part 9 of our 2019 Nationals rewatch. And tonight we've got game 6 of the 2019 World Series. Connor Jones joins me. Um, last night, Connor, you and I talked about games 1 and 2. And now here we are. We're jumping forward to games 6 and 7. But uh, you went to games... Three, four, and five in DC, correct? Yes, I went to games three, four, and five in DC. Um, did not really enjoy the outcome. Talk about, talk about that experience. Talk about that experience. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the ballpark was electric going into game three. I mean, obviously, as we were saying last night, had a ton of momentum going into the game. The, the air was pretty quickly lifted out of the crowd that night. That one actually wasn't a blowout. Um, the Nats really just couldn't get anything going offensively, just as they uh, had trouble with in games four and five as well, but uh, really couldn't couldn't get the bats going, left some runners out there when they had opportunities. Uh, still came away from that game feeling like, you know, we lost this one, but we're coming back at home tomorrow. Patrick Corbin's going. You know, you feel like if you still win that one, you're up 3-1 and you're commanding the series. Um, and then it was kind of just like a, it was kind of like a, a downhill ride from there on out. Corbin had a really rough start in game four. The bullpen absolutely imploded. At that point, um, there starts to be a little frustration in the crowd. And then um, really maybe the low moment was the, the, the train ride over to game five, seeing that Max Scherzer got scratched. I mean, just lots of shock all, all over the Metro <laughs> that day. Yeah. Um, people are just kind of beside themselves like what is happening um you know Garrett Cole's pitching that night and then suddenly before you know it you're down three two I mean the atmosphere of the World Series I mean I I can't that like that part of it was fantastic it was an incredibly cool thing to experience but 
as far as those games go, it just it really kind of summed up how wacky that entire World Series was with the home teams, um, you know, s- struggling immensely. Yeah, and against Game Six, where you know you, you don't know what to expect, but you and I have talked about it time and time again. I mean, there's you know there's with Strasburg on the mound, you really do trust that guy in a big spot, and and, and he was spectacular in this game. But um, the headline going in is you know like the old cliche goes. There's no tomorrow if you don't win today. And what a unique spot the Nationals found themselves being in after being down to nothing, but or being up to nothing. But I mean, the thing is, you have to think going in, you've won two games in this ballpark. Now, the Astros were 60 and 21 during the regular season in that ballpark. So part of you is feeling like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, they've already spotted us too. How many more do they spot us? But you've already beaten them twice with the two guys that you hope are going to be going. You know, obviously Strasburg is going to go, and Scherzer you hope can go in seven um, when that occurs, if it occurs. But I mean, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of emotions with that, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, you when you go back, even on the road, you have starting pitchers. No matter how much you trust your starting pitchers, you just know all the the random things that can happen in any given baseball game. Where it's like, even when you feel good about it, you just don't. You feel like when you have a advantage in the series, you kind of have to step on the opponent's throat because you feel like if you're behind the eight ball, you can't count on on your top guys to go out there every single night and constantly deliver and constantly have the offense give them enough runs and constantly have the bullpen hold the lead. I mean, that's a lot of things to ask every time your number one and two go out there. But um, heading back to Houston, that's the position the Nats find themselves in. Um, you have to you have to have Scherzer and Strasburg give you give you as good of starts as they can and hope for the best because you know all of that momentum and that leg up you had in the series is gone. All this May, the Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. It is the best tasting power bar out there. They are a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have sixteen amazing flavors, eight that are chocolate nut combinations, eight that are chocolate nut free flavors. The bars are often covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, but also healthy as well. Built Bars are really good for the health-conscious male, especially you can lose or maintain weight, indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Uh, the flavor profile of one of their peanut butter brownie ones, which is kind of the common one. My dad had that one, loved it. 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 net carbs, and my favorite flavor, the uh, mint brownie, 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. I'm definitely going to be getting some more of those. Offer, go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order if you use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Tonight's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you in part by Postmates, friends, live athletic competition is coming back to the United States this coming week. UFC 249 on Saturday. I am going to be dialed in. Prelims start at 6.30, and you know I will be all good to go thanks to Postmates. Um, I'll be taking advantage of their alcohol delivery, going to get some beer delivered, going to get some wings delivered, going to have some friends over, but we're going to stay distant. Do not worry. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a great way to get things delivered without having to leave the house. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about what you're going to have for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. And I also love beer, too. I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivery 
get food delivered, excuse me, without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they've created a non-contact delivery system. So now when I, I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout food from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now more than ever. Yes, 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 and yes, you need to be doing that. I've only been ordering local. It's a great way to support my community and Postmates as well, too. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the app, and use the code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates it. So Verlander and Strasburg uh, again matching up. So Trey Turner starts off this game, first pitch, infield single that gets reviewed. And, and on rewatch now, you know, Connor, when I go back and I watch this, isn't it ironic that this game starts off with Trey Turner beating out a ball that ends up getting reviewed? I, I feel like that is quite the, quite the funny thing to go back and watch. Yeah, that was, that, that was an ironic and telling, okay. foreshadowing moment in right. game six. Um, it's kind of the highlight of that game. But yeah, it's funny. It's funny that it starts out that way because um, it really leads for a, a a play of great debate and maybe one of the most argued plays of the entire 2019 season. And the sequencing of the innings actually matches up pretty well. So Eaton sack bunt moves um, it moves Trey Turner old over. Old school and, baseball still getting played in the nation's capital. Yes, and w- I, the one thing I wanted to mention was, and after you saw, like you know, you go back and look at those offensive numbers, dreadful in DC. Um. That's that's kind of the most telling thing to me is like this team was so desperate to make sure they could scratch across an early run or, or get in a position to scratch across an early run. I think and I think they would have bunted anyway, but to me it was a no brainer here because of how bad they were playing coming into the spot. Yeah, I mean that, that's kind of something the Nats have kind of stuck with all year is they've been right. They were a team that was willing to give up that out to get a runner in scoring position for their middle of the order. That's just um, the way they kind of played things. They have a right fielder who is is not your prototypical 2019 baseball player. He's a real throwback, Adam Eden is, um, in terms of style of play. And, you know, you, you have a, a guy that's a great bunner. He's really, really is, uh, he's best as a bunner when he's bunning for a hit, but it's still an opportunity where he can handle the bat and move a guy over for hitters that have had a lot of success in the middle of that lineup and give you a chance to get a run. Cause anytime you can try and scratch one across against, um, against Verlander, you feel like you want to take that opportunity. At least that's a team that's constructed like the nationals way of thinking. So Rendon gets a base hit goes in the gap. Uh, nobody home on that right side of the infield. And he just pokes one through on a breaking ball. Right side base hit. For the Nationals in game number six. 1 0 Nationals at that point. Um, he, was, he, he was pretty cold. I mean, 200 batting average heading into this game in, in the playoffs, uh, or excuse me, in the playoffs, in, in this series. But I mean, wow. You know, th- this was another moment of foreshadowing because um, he did have a monster night. And then 
this game in so many ways mirrored the the game two they played. Uh, Springer gets double on the first pitch that he sees against Strasburg. Altuve sack fly eventually makes it one one after a wild pitch. Advanced Springer to third, and then with two outs, Bregman goes into the Crawford boxes, and it's 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 two one uh, Astros. Cut him down as Bregman shuts it. At that point. And then the one thing also, too, Connor, I, I couldn't get out of my head was that Guriel ball that was deep in the outfield that Soto caught to the right of the Crawford boxes that would have made this game 3 1. And I felt like could have probably com- changed the complexion of this game. But luckily for the Nationals, they get out of this thing with only giving up two runs. Yeah. And this, uh, it, just so people remember, is the inning where Strasburg and, and, uh, the pitching, the the staff felt that he was tipping pitches and was kind of allowing mm-hmm. Houston's hitters to know it was coming. And uh, he threw that spinning change up to Bregman that that was absolutely destroyed. And the in the between the first inning and the second inning, he made some corrections there, which I think you saw uh, help help for sure going forward. But that right. kind of explains what happened in that first inning with Strasburg and why the Astros were kind of all over him. Yeah, and then some traffic for the Nationals. They generated some traffic in that third inning as Strasburg settles down. Uh, is same, the same thing in the fourth, generating s- some more traffic. Jan Gomes is the ball that's caught deep in left field. Um, ends that fourth inning. Top of the fifth, Spanky Eaton, again going deep. He, he, he hit some uh, – this is another really good quiet game for him. I think he wins the Deion Waiters Award for the best role player already, but – on a night that was Rendon's, Eaton quietly did a lot of good things in this first two, uh, first, um, excuse me, five innings. He obviously has that sacrifice bunt in the first, and then right here with a really important home run that makes this thing two-two in the fifth, and basically says game on. That's down the line. It is gone way out of here to tie this game at two. Adam Eaton. With his second home run of this World Series. Yeah, I mean, Adam Eaton, this entire series, he came through huge in so many spots. And maybe there wasn't one game where you think of it as kind of Adam Eaton is the guy that stood out. But it seemed like over and over and over again, he came through huge at the plate. I mean, this is just another example where they were struggling to get much going against Verlander. I actually remember in the bottom of the fourth texting a friend of mine saying, you know, it's crazy the amount of talent that the Nationals have. It seems like they're being completely overwhelmed by Houston. I mean, because that's the point where they had lost three in a row. It seemed like they may lose four straight games to the Astros, and and things were really looking bleak. But Adam Eaton there gets some life going again. Um, you know, he, he had he had some displays of power in this series where earlier in that 2019 season he didn't have that. Um, he said he felt he finally got his swing back from his injuries, and I think you saw what Adam Eaton could really do as a hitter kind of all around with, with contact and then and giving you some power every once in a while in this series. Juan Soto on a 3-1 fastball. It was 96 on the radar gun. He takes this one deep. I mean, that's a good pitch in my opinion, but it's just a better job of hitting. That is hit in the air to right and way out of here. Wow. 
And now Soto carries his bat down to the first base coach, Tim Bogar. He gets through that ball so fast. And I talked to you, Connor, about the one in game in game two that he hits. Uh, I believe it was. Again, game one and game two. Where, where it was the tape measure shot that it does, you don't see it come down in the camera angle. Um, this one you saw come down in the camera angle in the very end. And he just absolutely tanks this ball into right field. Nationals go up 3-2 there. What a World Series he had. I'm going to keep saying it, but he just kept wowing. Yeah, and this is actually that bat where Verlander, before that pitch before that moonshot, was chirping Soto after the Soto shuffled and gave up an approximately four zillion foot home run. So um, that was good to see. He carried the bat down to first base. Probably yeah, my just favorite like, moment. Just like Bregman did in the first, I forgot to mention. Probably my personal favorite moment of the game, if not the series, besides uh, besides taking the lead in the seventh in game seven. But um yeah, that was a just a, another example of what Juan Soto can do. Not only will will he hit mistakes, but he he's a guy that can they can hit big time home runs off the best pitchers in the game. We saw we saw him get the better of some matchups against some of the best pitchers the sport has to offer all postseason long, whether it be Hayter, Kershaw, Garrett Cole, or Justin Verlander. Um, you know, another another huge at bat from Soto. Yeah, and all the while, you know, we're talking a lot about the Nats' offense, but Strasburg's kind of cruising along, along at this point. A little bit of traffic in the fifth. He's able to get out of that. Let's go to the seventh now. So Jan Gomes gets on with a single, and this brings us to the, the infamous play. Active roster. That's a tough play for Peacock. And safe at first. Ball gets away, and the runners will advance to second and third. And now they're going to call the runner out for being inside. It is so great. And they're going to stick with the call. So Turner with that little dribbler, Brad, Brad, Peacock, Brad Peacock is in the game at this point and um, throws down to first. And Trey Turner, this ball gets away. Trey Turner goes to second. Gomes goes to third. Upon review, they say that Turner was in the base, I guess this is the skinny on it, right? Turner was in the base path, he, he, um, but he was also in the way of Peacock making that throw and also the play being made um, at first. So, not allowing Gurriel to make that play at first. So this brings up one of the strangest, longest reviews ever because there's a lot to unpack here, right? Number one. When they review this play, it's actually not reviewable because it's a judgment call, right? So the way this works, Major League Baseball, is a ju- it's a judgment call. And because of the way it was interpreted, um, that, that it does not allow it to be reviewed. And, I mean, there's a, there's a great article in the Washington Post about this as well, too. Joe Torrey even even says that and says, look, there was no need for this review to be as long as it actually was. It ended up being eight minutes long. And um, it's just a it's just a bizarre sequence because you have the Rendon home run after it that makes it uh, five to two. And then you have the in between the innings as well, too, where. Dave Martinez doesn't actually get tossed after it's happened. He gets tossed between the innings after the Nationals ha- have gotten themselves a bit of a lead. So, Connor, let's work, let's work from the front here, though. Let's go back to that call. It's a bad rule because it allows the umpire to interpret, and this is the way, I, this is my final thought of this. I think it's a bad rule 
because the way it allows the umpire to wrongly interpret how it should be administered. Yeah, I, I I'm really not the not the one to discuss the the rule itself. Um, I've I've heard people say that based on the letter of the law that maybe it was the right call. Um, I can say that when it happened, I was so furious that I had to go get an Advil for my headache. Um, and it was one of the most absurd things that I'd ever seen in a World Series game. I, I was completely shocked that they called that. It, it felt like the umps were trying to uh, make the game about themselves rather than rather than call the game rationally. I mean, if they're if they're making the right call, then you know it is what it is. But I think that Trey Turner's anger level, the how David Martinez reacted to it, was all pretty justified in that situation because that's the kind of thing that can legitimately cost the team a championship. If, right. if Anthony Rendon doesn't hit that home run, who knows what happens later in that game. Um, and, you, you know, you heard Trey Turner say it on the broadcast. He said, go ask Joe Torre. He's right over there with his head down. He doesn't want to look right. at anyone or something uh, or something like that. And, right. and I think that a lot of people kind of felt the same way. I think that if you ask people just watching the game, they're probably wondering what's going on. Um, you know, how is that, how is that, uh, batter's interference, but based on the rule, then, then, you know, that may be what you, might be what you have to call there, but you know, it's just, I have never seen a call like that made in a game of that magnitude. So I've hammered John Spoltz a bunch. I think, uh, I think his quality as, as a broadcaster was diminished, but he made a really good point. He said, as a pitcher, actually, they tell you to throw the ball at the runner so you can get this call. And I thought that was really interesting because the pitchers are told to take take advantage of the rule. And then you think about it. I mean, what is the runner? There's no recourse for the runner, right? I mean, he is he is running. And while Trey was outside in the beginning, he is allowed to come back in there at the very end, which he does. You see him kind of running on that grass line and then veering back in. And there's no doubt he hits the middle of the base when he, he touches first. And that ball is – I mean, it's not a great throw by Brad Peacock – and I think the runner's body being in the way, I mean, where else do you want him to go? There's the idea that he is somehow impeding the play being made. Well, where else is Trey Turner supposed to go? There is no other real estate for Trey Turner to occupy when running to first. And I understand why home plate umpire Sam Holbrook would say, well, he interfered. Technically, he did. But when the umpire is allowed to, I mean, make a ruling... Trey Turner was was actually doing everything within his right as a base runner correctly. So I don't know how you're going to punish the base runner when the way he ran was not actually illegal, um, but the way the ball hit him was. That's kind of my problem. Like, that is my issue, is that you can just say the way the ball hit Trey Turner was illegal. The way he ran to the base was not. Does that make sense, Connor? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was an atrocious throw by Brad Peacock, and right. it seemed like Trey Turner was punished because Peacock made a bad throw. Right. So, and that's kind of what it came down to. And to me, to me, that's just ridiculous. I mean, he threw the ball into right field. Yeah. And and that's not the base runner's fault. And the fact that that's the first thing that came to Sam Holbrook's mind is just baffling to me. But you know, if that's if that's the call that needs to be made, I can't. I cannot sit here and be the one to say um, it was a bad call if it's the correct call. I mean, it may be, it may not be. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a unique rule 
and right. uh, and certainly a unique spot to apply the rule. But if if it's if I'm Trey Turner, or if I'm Martinez, I'm reacting the same way to that. That's just. I mean, it's incredibly frustrating for something like that to happen at that point in the game. Thankfully, Anthony Rendon has the personality to to not get rattled by such things and was able to kind of put it to bed rather quickly. Yeah, I mean, one last thing on the rule. It feels like a rule that was made for uh, A-Rod 04 ALCS. Like, that's kind of the stuff that I feel like that rule was made for. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it's, it's past situations have caused this rule to be put into effect because um, they don't want base runners to to purposely interfere. I get it. I get where it's coming from. Um, th- that's not the spirit of it. Right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Without that. a doubt, that's not the spirit. That's not why it was put into – that wasn't why it was put into the rule book to affect a World Series game like that and reward a pitcher for making a bad throw. But, um, you know, at that, at that time, it was, a, it was a clear momentum killer and a, and a huge factor in the game. And, and I want to – People give Joe Buck a lot of uh, like a lot of grief, and I, it was interesting. Ryan Lis- Ryan Rissillo was talking about how people were kind of out on Joe Buck, then back in on him. I've always been in on Joe Buck. I think Joe Buck's a really good broadcaster. I think when his energy level is correct, I think he's always really good when he calls baseball too. He did an excellent job of of painting a picture of the magnitude and the potential magnitude, excuse me, of this call and of this moment. Um, so I just want to shout him out on that. Also, I just to kind of use this as a, as a way to talk about it. Were you were you satisfied with the broadcasting on this World Series, to your recollection? Yeah, I'm actually a big Joe Buck fan. I thought John Smoltz made a lot of good points during the series too. I mean, I one of the things that sticks with me broadcasting wise from the series was John Smoltz talking about Patrick Corbin in Game Seven of the World Series, saying if he can figure out how to locate the arm side fastball, he can go to another level is a pitcher and that's it was kind of a it was a really interesting thought i think john smoltz Mm -hmm. you were a little critical of him i thought he did a good job i think um joe buck personally he has i associate that that voice with big time sporting events so i always enjoy joe buck on the call i know he's a controversial figure up in the booth but um yeah i i think i think that those two do a good job yeah I, i think for smoltz with me it's it can be a mixture it can depend I remember the Cubs, the Cubs Indians World Series. He said some things that I was, I was a bit confused by. But uh, I mean, we'll, we'll let that let go. I thought, I like you said, I thought he was really good in this series. My critique of him as more uh, as a whole, and Buck, I thought was awesome. But yeah, Rendon, man. I mean, he goes deep and kind of puts that conversation to bed. Now there with two out, and Rendon shoots one in the left. Back at the wall. For the moment, because in the seventh inning, uh, between the innings, Davey Martinez gets, gets ejected, which uh, one of the all-time weird broadcasting or just kind of moments in World Series history, we don't see it live, Connor. He gets ejected, but we don't see it, which is like completely bizarre. Yeah. I mean, he went absolutely ballistic. He did, yeah. He, like, I think I get mad in the living room sometimes watching the game, but I, I came back, I was like, wow, that guy is absolutely pissed. But I mean, I kind of like seeing it. I mean, he's a guy yeah. that he's a guy that really cares about his players and stands up for him in a spot where you can't have you can't have Trey Turner getting thrown out of the game. You can't have your best players missing the rest of that game. But he made his point, and he made it in a situation where they had a three-run lead, and and he felt like he had to stand up for the players. I know a lot of people are going to say you can't get thrown out at that point in the game, but you know, I think as a player, if you see your manager 
responding that way for you, it, it's it's pretty inspiring. And also, he's got a lot. Of, I mean, he talked about it at length, and you and I talked about it. We talked about the, the Sirius XM interview as well, too. Like he had, a, he's got a lot of faith in, in that in that staff behind him too. I mean, Chip Hill. Like I think Chip Hill just took the brunt of Davey trying to storm at Sam Holbrook and uh, and Gary Saderstrom. And I mean, the job that Chip Hill does to keep the guys together and also hold Davey back. I mean, it looks like Davey wanted to just beat the absolute hell out of out of Sam Holbrook there. Um, but yeah, I think it also speaks to the faith that he has in the coaching staff as well too. Chip Hale, nominee for the for the role player of the game as well, too. Finishing this one off well, because I believe he was the lead coach um, after that. But you go top nine with two on. Rendon rips it off the wall. Rendon hits it into deep right. Back at the wall. It is off the wall. Two more runs are going to score. What a night for Anthony Rendon. Same spot as Springer did in game one. Seven to two Nationals. And then... You go to the bottom of the ninth. Strasburg comes out, gets one out. Doolittle comes in, closes it out. That's all she wrote, 7-2. And Strasburg in this one, after that first inning, Connor, we, you talked about the train metaphor last night. It was spot on. This train, once it, once it got touched up there in the first little bit, it was, uh, it was lights out. The two earned runs, the seven Ks, only two walks. It was over 100 pitches. And honestly, I felt like he could have closed out the game. They went to Doolittle for matchup reasons, but... What an outing from him. He and Rendon, star power. And it was ironic that those two guys, you know, the decision came down to one or, you know, which one stays and which one goes in the offseason. But they both had their nights uh, here in game six. Yeah, Strasburg, if it was up to me, he would have finished out that ninth inning. Right. I would have I would have let him finish it out. I think he could have definitely gotten those final two outs and definitely had enough left in the tank. But to be honest, the main reason that I think Strasburg came out of that game there was strictly so that they could potentially bring him in for a hitter or two the next night if they had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds crazy after 104 pitches. Yeah. It's something we've seen before, and I think that was the thinking there, was conserve something, see if you can get an out, maybe two outs from him the next night if you have to. Um, so I, I get the thinking there. It's it's better to, to have one of your best options available when you need them rather than overuse them in a spot where it's not necessary. But overall, just a masterful performance from Strasburg after that first inning. Um, he's done it so many times before. It's almost what you've come to expect every single time out from him in a postseason start. And Rendon, after struggling off the bat in, in this World Series, a massive night for him, the night he needed to have five runs driven in as the home run, as the, you know, as the single in the first inning that drives in. Uh, a run has a two-run shot, and then has that two-run double there in the ninth inning. Another masterful performance. He he put the runs together in the right moments of the game. And um, Tony Two Bags went deep. He also you know had the double as well too. So living up to his name. But gosh, uh, you know I'm gonna miss watching him play because once again, like I, I don't I I've said this all along. I've never claimed to be a Nationals fan. I enjoy watching the team play, but. This was one of those games where I, I think I did kind of finally say, like, it just, it's going to be, it, it sucks for us as fans not to be able to watch him perform anymore because he's a special talent. He's a special hitter. And uh, it was, it was an honor to watch him play in this game and perform. Yeah. It's, he's going to be a guy that 
you're not only going to miss from the standpoint of what he can provide for you, but you're going to miss just having the opportunity to to watch him play the game, both offensively and defensively as a Nats fan every night. Um, he's an absolute wizard at third base. He's a hitter that is really as good as it gets. You, you can't ask for more than a guy like that at the plate, uh, a three-hole hitter on a World Series winning team. And and I think you're absolutely right. It's just and it, it's the smoothness of which he plays, whether it be at the plate with his relaxed approach or, or his hands at third base. But Anthony Rendon's a guy who you know you're gonna miss, but those those memories I think Nats fans are always gonna appreciate. Yeah, and what's fun now is that we've got Game Seven coming up, and um, I'm sure you saw this, Connor. But you know, the Nats team was able to do a Zoom call. Where they rewatch and Ryan Ryan Zimmerman led the charge on this and they did it for charity, but they rewatched the uh, game seven and it was really cool to see all those guys come back together because obviously they're not, they're not all in the same places anymore. I mean, and, and Rendon is the obvious one, but even guys like Gerardo Parra aren't in the same places they were last year. You know, he's he's overseas now, so watching that, I'm not sure we got a chance to catch some of that, but also some of the insights too um, were really cool. I thought as well. So we're not only going to bring our insights into Game 7, but um, we'll bring some of what they said, too. I'm kind of fired up to rewatch the game. Like, I, How many times have you watched Game 7 of the World Series? Uh, one time since, since besides the, the live game. Right. Um, yeah, I, about that Zoom call, I thought that was really cool, too, because you didn't see just the, the remaining Nationals still on that call. You saw Gerardo Parra. Anthony Rendon was on there. Matt Adams, mm-hmm. who signed a deal with the Mets, was on there. And it just shows how, how tight-knit that group was. And even though the the game of baseball and life will pull will pull guys in different places, how kind of they're all they'll always be connected and always be such a such a tight-knit group. Yeah, and I'm excited to do that one. But man, there's nothing like game seven in sports. And that one was uh that was a crazy one. We're excited to do that one. Uh, to describe, I, w- I was basically like, could barely move for that entire day leading right. up to Game 7. I mean, that was, as a fan, that was probably as nervous as I'd felt going into a sporting event. Yeah, it's, it, it just brings jitters and nerves to anything you're thinking about. I mean, like, I, you know, for me, besides a couple dollars, I mean, I, I didn't have a, a ton riding on it. And because, you know, I wasn't even doing this podcast at that point in time. Uh, you know, which kind of sucks. It would have been nice to be on the, be on the beat back when they won the World Series, but they'll um, run it back this year, hopefully. Yeah, they'll hopefully they'll run it. Hopefully they'll run it at all. I mean, God, that's <laughs> it's kind of the hope of this one, right? But yeah, I mean, it was, and I was nervous too. I was nervous for people I know like you and and the Tony Bridos of the world and the Bill Nyes of the world too. I mean, you you know that the, this city has come to learn so much heartbreak and. Um, it, it, you know, never to let things, with the exception of that 2018 Capitals team, kind of like never hope. And, and this Nationals team, especially, I mean, you know better than anybody else, really has has done that more than any other team, I think, within the last decade in the city. I mean, more so than the Capitals, more so than the Wizards, more so than the Redskins, has let us hope so many, has let fans hope for so many moments. And um, it felt like it could have been one of those experiences or it felt like it could have been probably another one of those cathartic experiences like it was when the Caps went out in the desert. Yeah, it seemed like, and as a fan, it was just, what makes it so nerve-wracking is you look at the guys out there, you think back of all the years watching them play and all that they've, you know, 
fought through his players, all they've given to the franchise, and it's likely their best opportunity. If you don't, if they don't win that game, I mean, I'd say it's probably fair to say it's it's strongly likely that the vast majority of those guys are never going to find themselves in that situation again with an opportunity to win right. the World Series. You think of a a guy of like Max Scherzer at his age, Ryan Zimmerman at his age, guys that you know people have been watching for. Um, in Zimmerman's case, more than a decade, and mm-hmm. knowing that their opportunity to win win a championship essentially comes down to to one game. I mean, that's why it's why it's people call it the the best words in sports, but it's it's also a, a ton of pressure, and it, and it really stings to lose those games. Yeah. Uh, all right, game seven coming up. That is our next Nats rewatch. But Connor, thank you for joining us. Want to thank Built Bar and want to thank Postmates as well too. Make sure you use those codes locked on for those. Uh, Connor, anything you want to say about either of our sponsors tonight? Yeah, I'd say that uh, I just want to follow up with what I said last night. If you can, if you can postmates during a road game, one of the World Series, I have a as a fan, I have a one hundred percent winning percentage <laughs> while doing that. So I'd say that it's something. It helps your team win. Take advantage of it if it doesn't work for you. Um, I'm sorry about that, but I think it's worth the risk. So if that means if you've got money on UFC 249 this weekend, postmate something and maybe your bets will uh, your bets will pull through for you. Yeah, we, yeah. We're, we're talking. We're big on rally postmates on on the Locked On Nationals <laughs> podcast. Rally postmates codes Locked On hundred dollars of free delivery. Make sure you check out the Locked On MLB podcast as well as Locked On Fantasy podcast. All of these wonderful entities part of the Locked On Podcast Network.